You are listening. You are listening. You are listening to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. The rivers that I fish, Little River is my home river. It is a 65-mile long freestone river. Flows out of the Blue Ridge Mountains of Virginia up on the Parkway, and it flows through a couple of counties in uh, Floyd County, Montgomery County, borders Pulaski County, and then empties into the New River uh, right before the Clater Lake uh, Clater Lake Dam. And uh, it uh, holds a just a huge population of really healthy smallmouth. I've taken some smallmouth up to 20 inches, uh, caught a few that were a little over 20. Um, so the smallmouth is really, I mean, that's what I grew up fishing for. Uh, rock bass, red eyes, we call them. Uh, they're more of a pan fish, the bluegill, things of that nature, they're there. They're fun. But when I'm going and I'm going to get serious, I've, I've tied up a couple of different types of streamers and I want to try them out. I grab the seven week and I'm hammering the holes that I know these smallmouth are in. Welcome to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast, featuring interviews with passionate people within the fly fishing industry. We focus on guides, conservation, resort managers, gear, and talented fly tires bringing usable information to fly fishers. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by The Fly Crate. Theflycrate.com is your source for all things fly fishing. The Fly Crate offers a monthly fly club. We select patterns every month for your home waters. With membership, you'll receive flies created to match the hatch in your area, along with the Fly Crate's guide magazine, the convenience of having flies delivered right to your door, some sweet stickers. Discover new patterns and start stocking your fly boxes now. Theflycrate.com. Here's your host, Mark Hopley. Welcome to this edition of the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. We are going to head to Christiansburg, Virginia tonight. We're going to chat with Jimmy Roop. Now, Jimmy is an avid fly fisher, fly tire. He calls himself the hillbilly fly tire and looks like he's doing some, some really nice patterns and, and chasing a lot of smallmouth bass. Jimmy, thanks so much for coming on the podcast tonight. Uh, glad to be here. Honored to be here. Thank you. Do you know where I like to start on the show, Jimmy, is I, I kind of like to take it back to your roots. Tell us about how okay. you, how did you come to discover fly fishing? How did this kind of obsession start for you? Okay. Um, this is where the story will definitely get a little bit different than most. Uh, I started uh, completely without any influence from any person. Um, I had no friends, no family, no one that fly fished. So um, me and a cousin were looking through some old, back issues of a, uh, a field and stream magazine. And I came across an article about these uh, spider patterns that this particular individual was using to fly fish with. And it just, I mean, it just caught my attention. The look of these flies, real long hackles, real light bodies, um, the equipment that he was using, you know, I'd never seen anything like that before. And it just, it really piqued my interest to uh to want to try that and i didn't even know if i could really anything about anything to do with fly fishing so um this was 1978 i was nine years old and so i started absorbing everything that i could find about fly fishing from magazines and books um and by 79 when i was 10 i finally bought my first fly rod it was a uh eight foot fiberglass five weight rod uh, from one of the local department stores, uh, nothing fancy. It came with, uh, you know, it was a complete set. So it was a rod, a reel, line, and backing. And it had a little pamphlet of paper taped to it. And uh, it 
showed you how to assemble the equipment, put the backing on, test the fiber. Uh, it was all completely new to me. Um, I had to learn how to tie different types of knots, stuff that I'd never seen before. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I got I got into it, um, you know, through reading, and uh, and it was really really interesting. Um, I'm surprised myself when I look back that I actually persevered with it because usually kids have a very very short attention span and anything that kind of discourages them or seems harder than what they're able to do on their own they quit but this was something that really really just caught my attention and uh, I caught my first fish on a fly that same year 1979 and uh, that just set off you know this this love this passion of fly fishing what does it what does it bring to your life like if you had to sum it up what is it that you get out of chasing fish with a fly uh in virginia what what does it bring to your to your life i'll tell you it's um it has become a huge part of my life like i was telling you i've had uh, a lot of health problems a lot um, i've had four heart attacks i've had a lot of health problems uh the the fly fishing the fly tying especially the fly tying now it has, it's really brought a completion to my life. It's really made me more confident. Um, it, it's just, it's become so important to who I am. And it's just something that I've done, you know, the fly fishing I've done pretty much my entire life. And uh, it's something that I took pride in uh, when I was younger because I didn't know anybody that did it. Didn't even know how really how big the sport was. Uh, until I started, um, you know, watching uh, when we, we had programs that would come on TV and there would be fly fishing on it. And that would always be interesting. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, it's just it's just become such a, a massive part of my life. I couldn't imagine life without it. And yeah. uh, I just keep delving more and more into it. Um, I now, uh, I've gotten into rod building. Hmm. Um, and, of course, the fly tying. Um, I tie my own leaders. Um, I'm always looking for more information. Of course, nowadays you have your, your number one information center, YouTube, and um, my TV is Wi-Fi, so I can pick up YouTube, put it on the big screen, and I'm sitting there watching videos and just, I mean, you know, absorbing every bit of information that I can get now. And it's just, um, man, it's, it's it's hard for me to even remember a time in my life when I didn't have fly fishing. That's pretty cool. Sounds like you're a bit of a sponge, you know, just soaking it all up. Yes, yes, yes. And it's funny. I never was. I never was that way in school. School work was not my 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 strong suit. But if I got into something that I was really interested in, reading and and trying to gather as much information became second nature. I mean, it's just I, it's exactly what I did. And so, um, if I'd have taken that kind of passion into my schoolwork, Lord knows where I'd be now. But, uh, you know, just how it it is, you know, you find something that you're interested in and you really just jump in with both feet and take off with it. Yeah, uh, it's definitely been a journey. We're chatting tonight with Jimmy Roop out of Christiansburg, Virginia. Jimmy, I want to get to know you a little bit. Can we throw a few rapid-fire questions that may or may not have anything to do with fishing at you? Sure. So... Favorite tunes to listen to on the way to the water? If you were not walking and maybe you're driving in your truck somewhere, what, what kind of music are you listening to? Uh, I'm listening to usually a rock station of some kind. Sometimes it's um, 
um, older older rock and roll, but uh, definitely rock and roll. I'm big time into that. One go-to fly pattern in your neck of the woods that you just can't live without. Well, that's an easy one, and it's probably one that everybody would mention, and that's the uh, the woolly booger. Uh, it is a fantastic pattern. You can tie it in so many different ways, so many different colors, beads, cones. I mean, it is just a fish-catching fly. And when I get to the river, the first thing I tie on is a woolly booger. And usually when I'm coming off the river, that's what's still on my leader. So it's just a, a, a really all-around great fly. Jimmy, what's your go-to color? My go-to color? Um, I, and a woolly bugger, um, I love the new UV, uh, chenilles that they've come out with. Um, those, I mean, it just, it garners so much attention, the sunlight through the water. I mean, it really just makes these flies pulsate and they look so cool in the water. The fish love them. Um, I, they just, they just, especially smallmouth, river smallmouth eat these things up. And, um, I love a, uh, a maroon or a, a rust color. Um, I don't know if the fish are thinking crawfish or what you're thinking that it is, but that particular color, a crawfish orange or a, a maroon or something in that line, really, really just catches a lot of fish. Favorite place to talk fly fishing. So is there a coffee shop, a fly shop in your area, a watering hole? that you, When you're not on the water, where do you get your fix? Yeah, that one, um, I do not, we have a coffee shop, the Starbucks over over in town. Um, I hardly ever go there. Um, I don't go to bars. Not a, uh, I drink, not a big drinker. Um, normally, if I do any talking about fly fishing, it's usually online. I'll get on Instagram. I'll get on Facebook. Um, I'll comment on uh, stuff on YouTube. Um, I've got a couple of buddies. They like to fish. They don't fly fish, but we do talk fishing specifically um but uh, as far as fly fishing it's it's mainly an online thing for me we don't uh, i don't have a local fly shop uh, the closest actual fly shop in the area is in roanoke which is about 35 to 40 miles to my north and so i don't get up there that often uh try to stay away from the big cities as much as possible mm-hmm. and so um you know i don't i don't have a local fly shop most of my ordering most of my materials come from online shops and stuff like that so uh right. kind of a kind of a learner i reckon you'd say how big of a town is christiansburg is it is it a you know what's the population population of christiansburg is around fifty thousand. um now we're spread out really really wide so so our area, Christiansburg and Blacksburg, are butted up right next to one another. And then Radford is a city that's about um, 10 miles to our south. Uh, it also has a university there. We, we're kind of a, you know, just a large, larger spread out place. Mm-hmm. But uh, Christiansburg, Christiansburg itself, I would say, is probably uh, 40 to 50,000, somewhere in that range. Um, it's growing tremendously. Uh, Montgomery County is one of the fastest growing counties in the state of Virginia. So, um, I mean, it's, it's the, the roadways, the town was not built for the amount of people that are in it now. So it's always a treat to drive into town, um, traffic. And I mean, it's, it's just a madhouse most of the time and, uh, God help you when tech has a home game. Um, <laughs> it's, it gets really, it gets really, really wild. Everybody coming in off the interstates and getting on to the uh, 460 bypass. And I mean, it's just a, a trying thing to get out and drive. But, um, you know, I love my town. I love living here. Um, there's a small town just outside of Christenberg called Reiner. That's where I work at. 
and uh, you know it's a it's a it's a still a, a fairly small town, um, and you know that's that this is this is home. I mean, I've, mm-hmm. I've lived here most of my life. And uh, this is just this is where I want to be. Well, you might have answered my next question because I was going to go to the sports bucket. What are you What are you into when it comes to sports? Is it uh, Redskins, Hokies, Capitals? What's your go to? Where do you get your fix in sports? No, right, sports is definitely football, and it's definitely the Hokies. Um, I'm a huge Virginia Tech fan. Um, I've, like I said, I've lived here most of my life. I can remember as a child going over to uh, Washington Field and watching Virginia Tech play back in the mid-70s. I was six, seven, eight years old. Uh, they give away tickets. Uh, you'd have 2,000 people in the stadium. And, you know, it was almost like going to a, to a high school game. Uh, the last time I was actually at a home game at Tech was uh, three years ago. They just redid the stadium. It will hold 66,000 now. Wow. And I was just standing, I was standing there in awe. And I was looking around and 66,000 screaming idiots are jumping up and down and hooting and hollering. And I was like, man, <laughs> I can remember when there, when there was nothing here. And now, I mean, it just, it's rocking. I mean, it's a, a great atmosphere. And, of course, that's one thing that's known throughout college football is, is the home atmosphere at uh, Virginia Tech is just second to none. It's loud. It's in your face, and uh, it really gets the team pumped up, gets the crowd pumped up. It's a, it's an experience to go. Sounds like a lot of fun. Biggest lo- Oh, it's a lot of fun. What's the biggest lesson you've learned on your fly fishing journey? So, in other words, uh, Jimmy, if you had to take one takeaway from the experience, what would it be? All right. This one I'll probably go along with a lot of other people. Um, patience and perseverance are the two things that I take away. Uh, from the time I've started until now. Um, patience, learning to fish, learning to take your time, learning to fish a hole thoroughly. Um, that, the patience is just a huge thing. And then don't let anything get you down. It's, it, it takes time. None of this stuff comes naturally to anybody. And so you've got to take your time. You've got to, to learn the ins and outs, learn to control your line, learn to mend. I mean, there's a lot of things to learn in the fly fishing, but that's what makes it fun. So I would have to say the two points that really stand out to me are patience and perseverance. I think those are two important qualities that you gotta got to be able to hold on to, to to learn and stay in fly fishing and then learn to love it. Hmm. Well said. Fill in the blank for me. When I'm not fly fishing, I'm usually doing what? Well, that's an easy one, fly time. Um, I mean, really, I my life consists of I go to work, I come home, and on my days off or my time in the afternoons, it's spent sitting in my fly time desk. Um, I am a, a real big advocate for practice. And so, uh, like I said, I've just gotten into rod building. I've built maybe, uh, I think I've built four rods so far, and I'll come in here, sit down at the rod wrapper, and just practice wrapping thread, getting getting guides straight and getting them lashed down good, or I'll come over to the vise, put a hook in and just practice my whip finishing. Or um, one big thing is to put wing slips on these hooks and get them to stand up straight and get them to look right and be the right size. Hmm. And so I'll go through a few feathers, and I mean, literally, I'll sit here for a couple of hours and do nothing but wrap wing slips onto hooks and see if I can get them to look the way I want them to. And, uh, I, it's just, it's just what I, I love doing it. It's very relaxing. Uh, fly time is very therapeutic. Um, one thing I have to avoid is stress. 
Um, I've always wondered how you do that. Well, now I figured it out. And that is to just come in here, sit down at my vice, and tie and wrap some thread. Just uh, sit back and really enjoy it. Uh, I mean, it's, it's just what I do when I'm not fishing. I'm still doing something. Wintertime, I'll be hunting, of course. Um, I do a little bit of deer hunting. And uh, springtime, we do a little bit of turkey hunting. But uh, the hunting is just secondary. It's something I love to be out in the woods doing. Um, but uh, the fishing and the tying, that's, that's really where my passion is at. Do you manage to use any of the turkey feathers or any bird, bird hunting feathers in your fly patterns? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I've got a whole drawer dedicated to nothing but uh, rabbit, squirrel, turkey, I've got some uh, some deer hair that I've deer that I've killed, bucktails, uh, um, all those materials. Yes, they're saved and they're used in my patterns. Um, stuff's expensive, and for us poor boys, we got to do you know we got to do what we got to do. <laughs> and so I'm always looking to incorporate stuff that I that I've uh, harvested and use it in my patterns and stuff. Yeah, it's it's a uh, lot of fun too. Very satisfying. Yeah, I mean that really completes the circle when you think about it. You're not only are you yep. making the flies to catch the fish, but you're chasing the animals to provide, you know, the materials for it, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And then of course you know you you're you're going to consume the deer or the turkey or the small game that you kill, and so you're also going to get more uses out of the the pelt or the feathers or however it may be. So uh, yeah, it's uh, it it does complete the circle. That's for sure. Talk to me a little bit, Jimmy, about the type of fishing that you're doing. So what what kind of fish, what species are you chasing? What kind of waters are you fishing? Kind of paint us a little picture in your area there. Okay. Um, I am mainly, I've really gotten into uh, the last few years streamer fishing. Um, there's a lot of really great streamer tires on YouTube, tons of patterns. Um, and I, the rivers that I fish, Little River is my home river. It is a 65-mile-long freestone river. flows out of the Blue Ridge Mountains of Virginia up on the parkway, and it flows through a couple of counties in uh, Floyd County, Montgomery County, borders Pulaski County, and then empties into the New River uh, right before the Clater Lake, uh, Clater Lake Dam. And uh, it uh, holds a just a huge population of really healthy smallmouth. I've taken some smallmouth up to 20 inches, uh, caught a few that were a little over 20. Um, so the smallmouth is really, I mean, that's what I grew up fishing for. Uh, rock bass, red eyes, we call them. Uh, they're more of a pan fish, the bluegill, things of that nature. They're there. They're fun. But when I'm going and I'm going to get serious, I've, I've tied up a couple of different types of streamers and I want to try them out. I grab the seven weight and I'm hammering the holes that I know these smallmouth are in. And uh, my home river, I grew up my whole life on this river. And uh, there were times when I was a child that we wouldn't even fish. We'd be out on the river just crawling over the rocks and diving into the holes. And so I've I've lived on this river my whole life. I know it like the back of my hand. And so I've been able to, to pick out spots that have traditionally held good-sized fish. And they're places that you just know you're going to catch them. And so... Um, I take the take my grandkids. I've got five of those. Three of them are boys. We take them down, and I'm more of a guide at that point. I'm saying, all right, right over there behind that rock, there's going to be a good smallmouth in that hole right there. I've caught them there before, and so you know, it's it's just that knowledge of the river. Um, Little River is just a fantastic river. I've uh, fished New River extensively. Um, of course, the state 
uh, state record smallmouth came out of New River. Uh, previously, it was in the James River. So I fished the James River, which is, um, oh, probably 60, 70 miles north of me. Uh, fished it quite a few times. Um, several places, uh, Buchanan and Arcadia are two places that we'll, uh, we'll hit extensively. Uh, weightable and really just a joy to fish. And so uh, those are the three big rivers for me, are the James, the New, and then Little River. Um, Clater Lake is another, uh, it's a large, uh, large body of water. It's got a lot of stripers, but it also has some smallmouth in it. And so we'll hit it some. I'm not as big on the lake fishing. Um, I'm a river guy, so that's that's just what I do. But, uh, yeah, those are the three rivers that, uh, that I mainly fish. And, of course, they're all close to home, so I don't have to worry too much about distance traveling and things of that nature. Do you get any trout in, in those systems at all, or is it strictly smallies? For the most part, um, for the most part, it is smallmouth bass. Uh, James River, New River, Little River. Uh, all the summertime temperatures get up pretty high. They're in the mid seventies, mm-hmm. uh, sometimes in the upper seventies. So they they don't hold a uh, a population of trout. Uh, Little River up in its headwaters. Once you get up into the Blue Ridge Parkway, get up on the mountains, uh, it's more of a small stream and uh, a spring fed creek. And so, yeah, you can find some trout there. And, of course, there are a couple of places closer to home where they stock trout. And, of course, those are mainly the places that I go to do my trout fishing. And um, it's amazing how a stocky will, you know, once they're in the river for a little bit, they adjust to flies and, and, and bugs eating that way, and they'll, they'll jump on. But uh, most of the wild trout fishing, you'll have to travel a little distance uh, for, for me to get them. But... Uh, yeah, there, there's a little bit of crawfish fishing that goes on. I'm always looking to kind of maximize opportunities. So where, where I'm at, there's quite a lot of small, uh, smallmouth bass fishing. But it's like if if I can use a pattern that will also work on a trout and you just never know what, like a woolly bugger, was that, would yeah. that be something you'd throw on there and, and you just never quite know what's going to tag that? Sure. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Woolly buggers are, are fantastic. Um, the river smallmouths are really, really and diet close to what trout eat. So um, I've, I've caught uh, smallmouth on caddis imitations. Mm-hmm. I've caught them on uh, large uh, humpies. Uh, we have a white mayfly hatch here in August, end of August, that is just phenomenal. And I'll tie some big white uh, size eight humpies, foam back humpies, and use those uh, smallmouth, eat those things up. Uh, but yeah, a lot of the, a lot of the diet of smallmouth in this area is the same as the trout. So you you can, you can get a crossover. And so there are sections of the river you can go and, and you never know what you're going to catch. And a lot of those trout will hold over for a while. They'll move into June and July. And if you can find the deeper holes and, and the places where the water temperatures are, stay a little bit lower, uh, yeah, you can run into some per, pretty good trout. Now, I don't know about New River. Uh, New River has a really large population of muskies, and one of the foods that a muskie loves is trout. And so I've heard that the Game uh, Fisheries Department had thought one time about stocking trout, trying to stock them in the New River. The muskies were just, you know, they were rough on them, and so they quit doing that. So I haven't heard of anybody hooking any any trout in the New River uh, lately, but um, you know, I reckon it's always possible. But Hmm. Yep, woolly buggers and, and things like that are really good crossover flies. It's interesting you say that because I'm I'm thinking in my own mind. I got to admit, when I target smallies, I I don't usually think hatches. Like I'm usually thinking crawfish. 
Uh, I'm thinking, uh, you know, bait fish patterns because they're such an aggressive fish. But um, have you had a lot of success fishing like uh, mayflies and and uh, you just hit on those white mayflies, which sounded that sounds like an interesting hatch. Yeah, yeah, and it is um, in the in the proper sizes, larger sizes, the bass will definitely go for them. Um, like I said, my my big thing now is streamers, um, and in that arena, sculpins are an excellent pattern to use as well um there is a pattern that was tied by jack dennis uh, back i reckon he originated it maybe back in the 80s if i'm not mistaken i could be wrong on that it's called amy's aunt and it is a, a foam and elk hair and rubber leg pattern this thing i can tie it uh, on size six hooks all the way down to size 14 i have caught a slew of small mouths on those things and I'm not sure what they think it is. I don't know if they think it's a stonefly or, you know, I'm, I'm not sure what they think it is, but I know the wiggly legs and I always tie the bodies with some type of sparkly material or a peacock curl or something like that. And man, the bass just gave nuts for those things. And the larger sizes, so size eight or size 10, uh, use a three extra long hook, really make this fly really uh, bulky and leave the legs a little long and uh, the action of that fly will definitely get you some get you some fish that's for sure small mouth loving hmm. if you had to cite a couple of influences on kind of mentors in the fly fishing world or even fly tying world is there anybody that's impacted your fly fishing uh, can you think of maybe one or two sure um First one that comes to mind really um, is in the fly tying world, and that is Jack Dennis. And of course, he's been around for a long time. He's a well known fly tire. Um, the very first uh, time that I got into fly tying, I found a couple of uh, VHS tapes. It tells you how long ago that was. And um, they were of Jack Dennis, uh, Jack Dennis and Friends. And then he had his Western uh, Trout Tying Manual on VHS. And uh, that was the first person I ever saw tie a fly. And so he was a huge influence, uh, excellent teacher. I learn a little differently than most people. I need to be explained. I, I need things explained to me. Don't just tell me, show me how to do it or tell me how to do it. Mm. Tell me why. Why do you do that? What was your thinking behind doing that? And so teachers who are in that genre that, that teach that way, those really hit off with me. So Jack Dennis is, is definitely one that comes to mind. Uh, Kelly Gallup is monstrous in the fly tying world. Everybody knows Kelly. Um, his uh, YouTube videos have become entertainment fair in my house. My wife will actually sit down and watch with me. Uh, she gets a kick out of him. Uh, he's funny, but an excellent teacher. Fantastic fly tire. Really good at explaining different techniques and things of those natures, uh, of that nature. And so uh, he's been a real big influence um, as far as my fly tying. Uh, the fly fishing, of course, would be uh, the usuals. Um, I grew up, uh, fi uh, you know, looking for information on fly fishing back in the late seventies and the early eighties, and so uh, Lefty Cray was huge. Uh, he was everywhere, and of course, he he touched everybody that he ever came in contact with. And there's always a lot of information out there by him. So he was a a, a really big influencer as well as Flip Pallet, and he is one of my all-time favorites. And he is an all-around outdoorsman. Uh, he, he hunts, uh, fishes, you know. I mean, he's just uh, – he used to do a show called the uh, uh, Walker's K Chronicles, 
and mm-hmm. that was one of the first fishing shows, fly fishing wise, that I had ever seen. And so, I mean, I never, I tried not to ever miss an episode of that show. Uh, his casting was just phenomenal. I love to watch that man cast fly rod. And he makes it look so effortless. And he's throwing out 80, 90 feet of line. And he just looks like he's really getting into it. And, and so he, he uh, watching him, it kind of uh, showed me how to relax in my casting and things of that nature. Uh, so, you know, Flip Pilot was just a, a huge influence in my, in, in my early fly fishing. Hmm. Good stuff. Do you know, I've looked at a lot of the patterns that you're tying and you definitely obviously have been doing it for a while. Do you sell patterns at all? Or are those just strictly for your own personal use and, and buddies or how does that work? I have tied for a few people. Um, one guy tied forward just because he was getting back into fly fishing after a long hiatus and he didn't know exactly what patterns he would need on the river that he now lives on. So I told him, look, I'll tie you up some stuff, stuff that works for me. Uh, that was for free. I just give them to him because I've got boxes of flies here that will never see water. So I might as well try to start getting rid of them. So I've been trying, trying to do that. Um, I did sell a few flies a couple of weeks ago, a friend that I work with, he has a buddy that fly fishes and he was having trouble finding a, um, a woolly bugger pattern that, that was tied to his specs. And he wanted sp- certain types of colors, certain types of, uh, a flash material, and so he explained to me what he wanted. I bought the materials, tied the flies up for him. And uh, I, if I'm not mistaken, that was the first time I'd ever made any money on fly time. So it's not something that I've, I ever even really thought about doing. Um, mm-hmm. I was always a little bit, uh, you know, confidence is one, one thing that I had lacked early on. Um, I started fly tying around 2002. And when I first started, you know, durability was an issue. Um, it probably is for most people when they first start out. And uh, learning thread pressure and how to really crank down on there and get your materials tied in well. Um, my flies would fall apart after a few fish, I noticed, early on. And so I, I lacked a little bit of confidence until um, here, probably in the last four or five years, I've been able to really tie up some patterns. They turned out looking really well. They fished well. They've lasted for a long time. And so then I started feeling a little more confident that I could, you know, let people use my flies and not, you know, be self-conscious. Oh, Lord, if that fly comes apart, he's never going to get them again, you know. So it's, it's, um, it's a confidence thing. But, uh, yeah, here lately I have, uh, I've been, uh, I've made a little bit of money off of it. But it's not something that I'm looking to do as a full-time job or anything like that. Fly time is just a, such a joy. And uh, I would hate to turn it into a job and then it would be more pressure. And then you would kind of lose that, that, that love of it because it would become mm-hmm. a job. So I've, I've kind of kept it more for myself. But, um, you know, it's just, just one of those things. Yeah, I, I totally understand that. We're chatting with Jimmy Roop out of Christiansburg, Virginia tonight on the podcast. And, Jimmy, I always like to ask my guests on the program if everyone's got these, any crazy fish stories. So is there anything kind of weird, wacky, wonderful that's happened to you in your time on the water that comes to mind? Oh, I've had a few odds and ends, little things that have happened. Um, I can remember being uh, on New River um, with a friend of mine. He had a boat. We went out one afternoon. Uh, we had mainly went out to catfish, but I don't go to the water without taking a fly rod, so I brought one along with me. 
and uh, I had tied on a popper. I was planning on trying to catch a smallmouth, and it was late in the afternoon, and I'm on the front of the John boat, and I'm just slinging this fly, and, and it hits the water, and this huge V-wake just, just makes a beeline for my fly. So I crank down on the rod, and I get ready, and it turned out to be a muskie. Hmm. And he inhaled this this size six popper, which was way smaller than what any muskie, any respectable muskie would go after. But he went after it anyway. And I set the hook on him, and I think the flight, uh, the flight lasted for approximately four to five seconds. And he made one jump, cut through the leader, he's gone. And I can tell you that was super exciting and terrifying all at the same moment. Uh, big, big muskie. And I knew then, if I'm going to go fishing for those rascals, you better have some wire leader, some bigger flies, and you better have a bigger rod because I was carrying a seven weight at the time, and there would have been no way I could have done much with him. But uh, that's one thing that I can specifically remember. That was just, you know, five seconds of just everything going all crap, and then it was over. And I was like, okay, well, that was interesting. <laughs> so. I, I, I want to ask you to walk us through your dream day. So this is the way you want it, weather-wise, species-wise, the the beat, the water you're fishing, the types of patterns you're throwing. Paint us a picture, Jimmy, of your perfect day. Um, well, I'll tell you, um, I love early mornings. So my perfect day would start uh, 6, 6.30 in the morning, fog heavy on the river. Um, I mean, it's just beautiful mornings like that that just really get the imagination going, get the heart pumping. Um, I'm definitely going to be throwing uh, probably that early in the morning. I'd love to be doing some surface fishing, uh, throwing poppers, looking for big smallmouth. Um, there's just something about a large river smallmouth when he just engulfs a fly and the fight gets going and and you're just, you know, the reel is just singing and you're and they're so strong, so powerful, um, especially the river ones. Uh, I've caught some smallmouth in lakes. They're they're powerful. They they fight well, but a river really hones a smallmouth's muscle tone. And buddy, he fights. His tail is wide. He's got you know, just real strength. And so uh, my perfect day would have to be in early morning on my home river, uh, fog on the water, and I'm throwing poppers for smallmouths. That's just uh, doesn't get any better than that, and uh, I mean it's just just hmm. my cup of tea. I mean you know it's just my my thing. That's just what I have always done. I've loved it. Um, I've done some saltwater fishing. I've done a little bit of fishing around, but that is it for me. That's that's the the, the high point. I always think pound for pound, smallmouth bass are about as good as anything. I mean they really fight. They do. They do. They are aggressive, uh, powerful fish. Uh, they uh, they attack a fly, a streamer, a popper. It doesn't matter what you're using. Uh, poppers, you just get this huge explosion of water. Um, streamers, I mean, it's almost like you get home. Um, you hit a rock. You hang on a rock or a log or something. I mean, it just stops, and you set the hook, and man, that thing turns, and he starts running. And I mean, you're just it's it's a really exhilarating uh, feeling. You hook a large smallmouth. Of course, I've caught some smallmouth 12, 14 inches, and I'm going to tell you, I thought they were twice that size. Uh, mm-hmm. They're just such a powerful fish. 
and so much fun to catch. Uh, the little ones, the big ones. I mean, it's just I've gotten to an age now where um, qual- quantity of fish is not the big thing. I don't go to catch tons. If I could catch one fish, 18 inches or, or, or larger, one for that day, yeah, it's been a perfect day. And, uh, I mean, they're just that quality of fish. And uh, I love them. I love them. They are just uh, an amazing, amazing quarry to chase with a fly. They're almost hand-picked for a fly. Uh, yeah. And you, you tie all kinds of patterns from floating, sinking, streamers, I mean, anything. And smallmouth will hit. They're not very discerning. They'll hit just about anything if it looks alive. So, uh, but I've just gotten, I love my streamers. I've gotten into tying streamers, uh, articulated streamers, all kinds of Gunner Brammer is another one of those guys that ties some really innovative patterns. Um, he's fun to watch. He's a young guy, but he's very knowledgeable and a lot of fun. Um, I've used a few of his patterns or tried, and um, I'm always watching his stuff, trying to pick up some, some pointers. He's very, very detail-oriented detail in mm-hmm. building a fly. And why you use the materials you use and how you set them on the hook determines how the, the fly is going to swim. And uh, it's a really good one to learn intimate details, intricate details on building a streamer. So uh, he, he's an interesting cat. But um, that's the streamer fishing I've definitely gotten into probably over the last uh, five or six years. It's just really, really my, my thing right now. So. Are you sitting at the tying bench right now? Uh, yes, I am. I thought, I thought, I know that sound when a bobbin hits the table, and I thought I heard it a minute ago. <laughs> what are you tying up? <laughs> um, I haven't actually been tying up anything. I come in here to wait for your call, and uh, I was just messing around at the, messing around at the table. I just uh, just purchased a, uh, a tying station. Um, I had a desk, of, a fly tying desk built specifically for me. Uh, my uh, wife had an uncle. He was a, a, a top-grade carpenter, and... Uh, he, uh, I asked him if he'd build me a desk, and he said, yeah, I would love to. So I sat down one day, drew up some, some plans on exactly what I wanted. Um, it doesn't look special, but its dimensions are different than most, most of your desk. It's a lot deeper. Um, the drawers are a lot deeper, uh, a lot wider. Um, I finished it, and uh, he built it out of cherry, which I asked for specifically. And I finished it a little bit darker than, a, than normal cherry furniture would be. Um, and then I bought this tying station that sits right on top of it. I've got all of my tools organized, which is an amazing thing because uh, before they just laid everywhere. That that kind of stress is really not what you're not what you're <laughs> wanting when you go to sit down at your desk. So um, uh, I purchased this thing. It's got all my tools, all my thread, all my adhesives, everything sitting right here, organized. And like I said, I love to come in here. I bought me one of these. Um, it's an extension arm. I think Dinah King is the one that made it. And uh, I put my vice in this extension arm, and I can sit back in my chair, pull the vice out over my lap, and I can sit comfortably. And seriously, I come in here and I sit down for hours at a time and do nothing but practice. And oh. I mean, it's just—it's very therapeutic. I just love it. Yeah, no, I totally agree. We've actually had people on the on the podcast talking about fly tying as a form of therapy and just kind of just taking your mind off a lot of things, you know, and just kind of focusing and just kind of losing yourself in the moment. Yep. And it does that, does that, uh, does that quite well. Um, I've noticed that, um, you know, let's see, there's several organizations that deal with, uh, veterans. And, uh, I saw, I think it was a show on one of the fishing, uh, fishing channels. And, uh, they showed a veteran sitting down at the table, tying a fly. 
this fellow had lost both arms and he had hooks from his elbows down on both arms and he's sitting there at a vice tying a fly. And I'm thinking, wow, that is stupendous. That's amazing that this guy would be, I mean, he's got the interest, he's got the passion, obviously, and he's learning to use these prosthetics to tie up a fly. And I'm thinking, man, I know exactly what that feels like. I'm telling you, it takes you out of your problems, your troubles for that time, and your mind is doing nothing but concentrating on what you're doing, messing with those materials, applying the thread to the hook. How are you, you know, your proportions and all of those things. There's so many things that go into tying a fly that your mind needs to be clear and needs to be concentrating on that one thing. And so it's really amazing what fly tying can do for anyone who has uh, PTSD. Um, they have uh, nerve problems. They have anxiety. Uh, I have a, uh, had a lot of problems with anxiety at one time in my life. This has been an amazing thing to take and sit down when you're feeling anxious and practice a little bit. And all of a sudden, all that's gone. And everything in the world that's going on is is disappeared. And it's just you sitting here, you know, working on a pattern. And it's just, it's very therapeutic. It's very calming. Um, I mean, even when things go bad and you can't get a feather to sit right or, you know, something goes wrong and the pattern just don't look right, I've learned to chuck that off, take a razor blade, shave it off the hook, start again. Um, mm. I actually enjoy doing that. And that way I can just restart and say, okay, the last one, you know, I'll take a picture of it. You know, I'll a picture out here on my phone where I can see it. And I'll look at the problems with that. So I mean, I'll go back and start it again and fix those problems. And, I mean, your mind is constantly thinking about what you're doing, what's in front of you. And you're alleviated from all the stress that's around you. And it's it's very, very wonderful thing to have. I always find it really, really interesting how as we as we progress in our fly tying, think back to when you first started, and you have that pile of flies that n- doesn't make the cut. But when you look at that pile of flies now that doesn't make the cut, they're probably pretty darn good. Yeah, yeah, they can be. They can be. I can tell you the first couple of flies that I tied were uh, horrible. I mean, to be honest with you, they were terrible. But I was learning. And I knew that. So when they come off the vice, and of course, at that point, you start a fly and you finish the fly, period, end of discussion. Then you go back and you look at it and you go, now, why didn't I do that? Why did I finish that thing off that way? Or why did, that looks terrible. And so I've kept several of those, uh, several of those first batch of flies that I ever tied. I keep them in a drawer over here. And uh, they're always a reminder that, you know, you can start anything. And when you're learning, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to mess up. It's, it's natural. That's how things happen. That's how you learn. And so I like to keep those things around so that I can, you know, look at those flies and go, yep, there was a time when it wasn't all that good. But through practice, perseverance, uh, learning, I love to learn. I absorb as much information as I can. I watch uh, videos all the time, read. Um, I'm on Instagram looking at some amazing tires patterns. Uh, these guys all started out just like I did. They started with one fly on one day. And nope, it didn't turn out. But you keep going after it. You keep practicing. You keep working on it. And you get better. It's just a natural progression of how it happens. And so, uh, I you know anybody can, can, can do this. It, it's really, 
it's easy to get started. There are ways to get started that make it fairly easy, and you don't have to put a whole lot of money into it, and it gives you a taste of what it's like. And then as you progress, you get better. Then you can buy better equipment, better materials. Because, you know, materials can be expensive. And that's one of the keys to tying really good flies, having really good materials. So, you know, you're going to spend a little bit of money. But to start out, you don't have to. And all it does is it gives you that creative creative outlet to do something. And even with sorry materials, you can tie up a decent enough fly to look at it and go, hmm, that'll catch a fish. Go out and catch a fish with it. Then come back next time. You'll, you'll, you'll progress. You'll get little better materials, little better tools. Things will get a little tighter. The fly will start to look better. And it's taken me, you know, I started in 2002. Here it is, 2020, 18 years I've been tying. And, uh, you know, my flies have definitely improved. It's taken some time, but it's been fun. It's been a fun journey to learn and to get better. And it's going to happen. You just have to put in the time, make the mistakes, because they will happen, and learn from them. And, uh, I mean, it's, that's the joy of it all anyway, is the learning process. Yeah, totally agree. And there's, and there's so much to learn. We never stop learning. Nope. I think that's why a lot of people get drawn to the, to the pastime. Is there something, Jimmy, that you think as a group fly fishers could be doing better? Oh, that is a good question. Um, you know, fly fishing has progressed. The industry's progressed. People who fly fish, everything has prog- progressed to a point now where everybody's really active. Um, get on any social media platform, and, I mean, you'll see the good and the bad, uh, but there are people out there who are always willing to help. They're always willing. You know, I asked for critiques when I first started. Tell me what I'm doing wrong. And there would be people who would not be mean about it. They would be very respectful about it, but they will tell you. Um, today, nowadays, uh, a lot of things have gone to the uh, conservation side of fly fishing, how to handle fish. For one thing, it's a really big big deal uh, with catch and release, really catching on and becoming such a, a big part of the sport. Um, people can be downright rude when it comes mm-hmm. to pictures posted on social media. And, and I get where people get insulted. I, I, I do. Sometimes people are just way over the line. But I'll tell you what, they're trying to get people to understand that, you know, these are animals. They're fish. They're beautiful. We need to handle them with as much care as we possibly can. Um, use barbless hooks. Keep, the, keep your hands wet. Keep the fish in the water as much as you can. Yeah, we're going to take pictures. That's fine. Do it quickly and put, get the fish back in the water. Um These are things that have really come a long way since when I started. When I started, you kept everything you caught. I mean, it's just just what you did. And nowadays, catch and release is is really, really catching on. It's huge. And and, and it's good to see because uh, that's the only thing, that uh, a downside to hunting that I have is that you have to take an animal's life. And I reckon I've progressed uh, in my age to a point where killing is not something I'm super comfortable with doing i get hunting is for a reason and it's conservation and and all of that but but the fishing i can catch a beautiful fish check it out keep it in the water let it go catch it again some other time i don't have to, mm. to kill it you know and and that's yeah. become you know really big with me but as far as the industry i'll tell you there's it's so diverse now there's so many people in, involved in it uh different races different backgrounds different ages 
Um, I've read several articles over the last few years about uh, the old timers talking about the new people coming in and, and how their attitudes are. And, and uh, I mean, the sport really looks awesome right now. I think from my perspective, um, everybody, I agree. Seems, I agree. I mean, it's really coming along beautifully and, and it seems to be growing. There seems to be some growth in fly fishing. There's a lot of new companies, a lot of diverse people out there doing. Um, I, I just don't know that there's anything, any downside to it at this point. Um, I think it just, it, 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 the better years are ahead. And, and everybody seems to be working toward that goal of, of all-inclusive. Everybody gets to enjoy themselves. We want people to learn. We want people to enjoy it. It's, a, it's an awesome thing to do. It's, it's just very fulfilling. And so I don't I don't know if there's anything I would that I would say that needs to change. I think everything's really really doing well. Yeah, that's good stuff. Adam. Well put, and uh, a lot of good points. Um, if somebody wants to check out some of the patterns you're tying on Instagram or Facebook or whatever social media, or some of the uh, smallmouth that you're chasing in in and around Christiansburg, Virginia, uh, maybe throw out your handles on there on Instagram. Okay, um, it's just my name, all one word, Jimmy Root, J-I-M-M-I-E-R-O-O-P. And that's on Instagram. Um, I post a little bit of stuff on Facebook, uh, fly fishing-wise, but the Instagram page is my fly tying and fly fishing deal. It's exclusive to that. And uh, I don't know, I mean, a lot of the same people that are on Instagram are on Facebook. Uh, I find Facebook um, to be kind of rude. There's a lot of mean people on there, <laughs> and it's just not my scene. I don't think being nasty to people is really the way to go. Instagram, it just seems like everybody is is just, you know, they're really just nice, and they compliment you, and, and you can get critiques and, and things of that nature, but, but Instagram is just is my main social media platform, and uh, that's where you'll find all of my, my fly tying and fishing and, and things of that nature, so... Well, your patterns got my attention quite a while ago. I started following you a while back, and I, I thought I'd just love to have you on the show because it's just a, another perspective. I, I think you're the first guy I've had on from uh, Virginia, so uh, that's kind of cool. Yeah. And and I wish you um, an awesome season out on the water, Jimmy. Um, go Hokies, continue good health, and uh, keep at her on the bench. Thanks so much for coming on the program tonight. Oh, glad to do it. Glad to do it. Really enjoyed it. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by theflycrate.com. Thank you for listening to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Your feedback matters. Let us know if there's a person or topic you'd like discussed. Email us at mark at flyfishing97.com. Until next time, tight lines and we'll see you on the water. Mm-hmm.